I'm Brianna. I'm Sarah. And we are the, the Squad, Squad Ghouls. Just a couple of creepy gals that love creepy things. We sure do. Yep. Hey, Sarah, I have a joke for you. Hey, Brie, what's your joke? <laughs> Why do skeletons have low self-esteem? I don't know, Brie. Why do they? Because they have no body to love. Aww. I know. I'm sorry. That's so dark. <laughs> I got a little dark on that one. Can I'm so sorry. Anybody <laughs> find me? I don't sound like a chipmunk. I swear. Somebody to love. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's been a long week, so that one. It has. It's a little dark. No, no, you're fine. It has indeed been a ridiculously long week. Yes. Um, but I have a joke for you. Oh, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, oh, oh, no, no, no. I just like scrolled by my joke. Uh, how can you tell when a vampire has been in a bakery? Oh, how? All the jelly's been sucked out of all the jelly donuts. <laughs> That's gross. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> like, who does that? <laughs> and also, who eats jelly donuts? Um, have you met many five-year-old children lately? No. <laughs> they, they love pretty much anything that will give them a sugar rush not that i i okay. have five-year-old but children, i just never but... understood the jelly donut i mean like the like the bavarian cream one. Oh yeah i get it you know but I, jelly i don't know i i don't miss from since going vegan at the beginning of the year i don't miss many things at this point um, but one of the things that I do miss is Bavarian cream donuts mm. because they are so good. And I have not found a, a vegan Bavarian cream donut. in. I Camarillo. guess we will just have to make one. I mean, that sounds real hard, but no, it should be that hard. Is it going to take me more than 20 minutes? Probably. Okay. It sounds hard. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and, and moving on. <laughs> Should we get into booze news? Yes, booze news, booze, booze news. news. Um, um, sad news: The Conjuring Three has been moved back to June of twenty twenty one. Just make the week even darker. Did I say twenty 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 one? I meant. I mean, at this rate, that's when it'll come out. But twenty twenty one. That was great. Next year, not. 20,000 years from now. Sorry. Everything's just going to keep. I, I know. It's keep sad. getting pushed back. It's yeah, fine. It's sad. Um, <laughs> but in, in other news, uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost from uh, Shaun of the Dead. Oh my God, I love them. And did you see Hot Fuzz? I did. Okay, I feel like Hot Fuzz is ridiculously underrated because mm -hmm. everybody loves Shaun of the Dead because how could you not? Um, but Hot Fuzz was freaking yes. hilarious. Um, I, I loved it. So, uh, you know, they're, they're back for a quote unquote new comedy series on Amazon that's called Truth Seekers. Ooh. Um, so the whole premise is it's going to follow a team of part-time paranormal investigators. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis on the part-time. Anytime you add part-time in front of anything, it just becomes infinitely funny. Uh, so they're a team of part-time paranormal investigators and they team up to uncover and film ghost sightings across the UK and they share their adventures in an online channel for all to see. This sounds amazing. I know. I can't wait. This is going to be real funny. 
Oh, yeah. Because that's what we need. We need all these people to release everything online so we can watch it. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm not uh, I'm not sad. Oh, 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 and I didn't put this in news, but um, Bill and Ted, uh, Face the Music, mm-hmm. is still being released in September. Oh, good. If it is being released in September in theaters, or if theaters are still closed, it's going to be in video on demand. It's going to be both. <gasps> yes. I know. Although Finally. I don't know how I, I mean, not, not horror related, but I mean, still cool. <laughs> it's still important to know. Oh my, oh, sorry. Please ignore the noise. My, my bee bite itches. Sorry. <laughs> this is weird. No, I'm sorry. It's I, okay. I got bit by Should a bee. We, what? Huh? Oh, I was like, do you need a break too? No. I'm okay. just don't mind my weird scratching <laughs> sorry no i got bit by a bee last friday and now it it's just like hell it's terrible mm-hmm. um in other news patrick bryce who directed creep is adapting the novel the wild for hbo max oh so the story centers around the main character named dawn um and she's not a bad person she just makes a lot of really bad choices so i can relate mm-hmm. um her parents <laughs> uh her parents pay to ship her off to a wilderness boot camp uh a la the maury show when they have all the kids that behave badly and stuff and oh i then, love those episodes yeah and then they have the they're, they're i think they're called scared straight or whatever yeah where they called. act all hard Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that where the Cash Me Outside girl came from? No, no, no. That was Dr. Phil. That, yeah, that was Dr. Phil. But same day. But she did not... Uh, I don't. Did she get sent to the boot camp? She needed to. I don't remember if she did, but clearly she didn't listen. But anyway. Right. <laughs> um, and then Vanjie did her in uh, Drag Race season 11 and sounded yep. like a Muppet. Um, <laughs> well, she kind of sounds like that, though. She does kind of sound like a Muppet. <laughs> sounds like a Muppet with a mouthful of marbles. Um, and so she gets sent to this wilderness boot camp, and then she soon learns that what happens in the woods isn't what anyone's parents had intended. Ooh. Creepy. Mm, I like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, last but not least, Brad Dorif is confirmed to voice Chucky in the upcoming sci-fi series that we mentioned uh, a couple weeks back on one of our episodes. Oh. So he, and for our hardcore Chucky fans out there, I don't know how many of you there are. Hopefully not a lot because the movies are awful. (laughs) But you'll know that he voiced Chucky in every other part of the series. So this will be no exception. Good luck with that train wreck sci-fi. Well, even like the one that came out recently, the last couple years. Mm. The one that had Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza. Yes. I mean, I kind I mean, I kind of liked it, like how they somewhat updated Chucky. I don't know if that makes sense, but <laughs> he was a little different. I um I truthfully did not watch it. It's on Prime right now. Yes. And I keep having intentions of watching it, but I just can't bring myself to do it. Well, I just liked it because um it was more like like a bad like computer software thing. It wasn't like a soul taking over his body. It wasn't the soul of a serial killer. Right. Okay. I mean, but instead a serial killer chip in his motherboard i don't know <laughs> something like that was it really <laughs> yeah because like computer guy like uploaded some like <laughs> weird that thing. was like that episode of the simpsons where they have the evil crusty doll and they said this doll's been set to evil <laughs> pretty much <laughs> like that's pretty much what it was oh god <laughs> yeah and then this company just keeps creating 
terrible toys. But anyway. Maybe I'll have a bottle of wine for dinner tomorrow and watch it. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? That would make it more fun, That's probably actually. probably the only way I'd be able to watch it. <laughs> yeah. It, getting, like, nice and, and drunk would probably be good. well i would like to talk about uh some creators of color but more uh, specifically since this is our book club club. (laughs) episode i wanted to uh talk about some um horror books that horror sorry (laughs) books by people of color (laughs) did i say that we had a bottle of wine for dinner tomorrow i meant we had a bottle of wine for dinner tonight yep (laughs) sorry in advance um so i wanted to talk about a few books that could be on your next reading list uh so the first one is uh the ballad of black tom by victor lavelle he's also um the author of the uh the changeling oh really Mm -hmm. a little lovecraftian horror there for you um this book uh it follows uh, Tommy Tester. He's a hustler um, in disguise of a street musician uh, selling dangerous magical items to people desperate for magic who can pay the going rate. Uh, but he gets over his head when he's sent to deliver a magic book to a recluse in the in Queens and finds out that the little magics he's been peddling are just a puddle compared to the real thing. spooky stuff um the next book i want to mention is one that i've read it's beloved by tony morrison Ooh! if you haven't read this book or you can watch the movie too because the movie is i've seen the movie yeah it's really close to the book but obviously we all know the book is better every time Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but just a little uh background on that uh it's uh, 1837, and uh, Sete is no longer a slave, but neither is she free. Her memories of her terrible past keep her trapped as surely as the ghost of the dead child who haunts her home. As Grady Hendrix points out in an article, the uh, ghost stories are about the past, and whether Sete's ghost is real, is a ghost or a real ghost, sorry, <laughs> or a living person <laughs> who knows uh, all of her secrets. And it's in in the end, you know, Sete's own past is what is truly like haunting her. And it's a really good book. Just want to point that out. Very creepy. And then the final book is The Last Final Girl <laughs> by uh, Stephen Graham Jones. And it follows Lindsay. Uh, she is a final girl having survived a sadistic murderer in a Michael Jackson mask. What? Yeah, there you have it. So we've we've moved from William Shatner in Halloween to now Michael Jackson. Yep. Oh. <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> but the so-called Billy Jean killer oh, isn't finished. God. And it turns out neither is Lindsay. Ooh. I feel like we should read. You know, that might be actually, I realized we were supposed to pick, uh, we were supposed to pick our book club book for mm-hmm. next month. And, oh, yes. And uh, we did not do that before we started recording. So why don't we just say the last final girl is our book club book for next month? I'm in. Done. That was easy. You know, I'm always in for a slasher. Especially, I mean, you had me at <laughs> Michael Jackson mask. <laughs> I mean, I they had me at Billie Jean Killer, so... No. <laughs> 
because that's one of my favorite songs so mm-hmm. i hope they don't ruin it right. um, <laughs> but uh so as i mentioned before this is uh our book club Ooh, episode club. and so we have been reading the stand we sure have so good for the time that we are in right now <laughs> yes it was it was very timely considering that the whole premise of the book is a pandemic and it's a super flu also known as uh captain trips and then they call it a couple of other things in the book um but we there are and it's important to note like we've talked about in the past there are two versions of this book um and Bree and i each read a different version of it so i had read the normal published version that came out in 78. I read it 10, 12, 13 years ago. I think I was a freshman or sophomore in college when I read it initially. Yeah, I was going to say, I reread it. This is a second time for me. Yeah. And um, there was a an extended version published in 1991. And it's the, the unabridged, uncut version. Um, everywhere that you read says that it's 1,200 pages. I can assure you after downloading it on my Kindle, it's not. (laughs) It was, I think, 1,353 pages. I don't know how you did that. Well, that's why I asked you to bump the episode a couple times. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, 800 was enough for me. (laughs) It was, friend, it was so long. Yeah. Um, And this version came out in 1991, and it's uh, also moved forward 10 years. So... The original stand that was published in 78 took or is set in the 80s, mm-hmm. but the unabridged version is set in 91. Oh. So there's a yeah, so there's a lot of cultural references that are moved forward. So oh, that's cool. Yeah, so like he mentions Madonna. <gasps> well, and, no, I wish I would have read that. And now if you, it, it was actually well, if you want, you can hack my Kindle and <laughs> read it. <laughs> um, no, because then I'm afraid I'm going to read it again and then I'll be backed up for our, our other books that we're yeah. read. <laughs> and, and I think um, it's important to note that it's the same book, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big difference between the two versions at the very end that we'll talk about. But it's, it's essentially the same story. There's just a lot more character development and a lot more of the... And, and I think... Well, let me back, back up my thoughts a little bit. When Stephen King was writing this... He wanted to write a great epic fantasy novel a la J.R.R. Tolkien's Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings, but he wanted to write this epic fantasy novel that had an American setting, Um, which that is how The Stand was born. However, for anyone that has actually read Lord of the Rings, not just watched the movies and said, oh yeah, I read the books, kind of. Because we, I'm, I'm sorry, we all have those friends that pretend to read and they don't. Yeah. We all have them. Mm-hmm. Um, so anybody that read the books versus seeing the movie, you know that there's a lot in the books that's the um, the unnecessary. It's not unnecessary. It just, it doesn't necessarily move the story forward right. as much. So there's a lot of like the traveling and the stopping and the picking up of other characters along the way that are inconsequential in the long run and don't really move the, move the book forward. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more of that in the unabridged version. Oh my gosh. Um, there's even a whole section and keep me honest because maybe it's in, it's in your version, but it's been so long since I've read it. There's mm-hmm. this whole section um, after the pandemic hits, 
So they talk about the the two waves of people that die, right? Yes. There's the first wave of people that actually die in the pandemic. And then there's the second wave of people that either uh, take their own lives because they can't deal with the tragedy that's stricken. They, um, they're like, they, there's one guy who runs and he runs and he runs and he runs with the sole purpose of giving himself a heart attack because he doesn't want to deal with things. Um, there's a guy that like <laughs> falls and injures himself and die. Like there, there's like this whole second wave of people that is, I don't remember that in the original. I was going to say that that's not in there. That's why I'm like, man, I probably should have just read the other one with you. <laughs> no, it's, well, it, to, to, I don't know. But to that point, it didn't like none of that. Cause there's a lot of, not a ton, but there's a bit of character development for those people only to have them die in a few pages. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe like it was a little unnecessary. Yeah. And, okay. um, we'll talk about some fun facts about this book as well, but when, and one of them I'll mention now, when Stephen King originally wrote the book, he wrote the complete unabridged version, but mm-hmm. he wrote it for the 80s. He didn't write it for the 90s the way that it was then advanced forward and redone. Um, but it was so long that the manuscript actually weighed 12 pounds when he was done. Um, and Doubleday was the publisher. And when he took it to Doubleday to have them actually print and bind it, mm-hmm. it was so long that they did not have the actual binding needed or the printing press needed oh my gosh. Yeah, to publish a book <laughs> of this size. And they also didn't want to divide it into two parts. So they mm. then went back to Stephen King and said, hey, sorry, you got to cut 400 pages out of oh, this book. That's rough. Yeah, which equates to about 150,000 words um so he did it he went back and he cut out all of and and i think that it's as we talk about it i'm sure we'll we'll kind of cover that but Mm -hmm. i'm sure it was a lot of like the unnecessary travel or not i hate saying unnecessary because i feel like that's not the um it's not the proper word yeah um Mm. But a, a lot of the additional travel that takes place and like there's this epic scene with Larry Underwood and Rita Blakemore as they're going through the tunnel in um, there. I, I think it's the Holland Tunnel that they're going through to okay. try to get out of New York City. I don't remember that in the original. Nope. OK. So like that kind of stuff. OK. Um, wow. It's a lot of like. Yeah. See, you know, I. OK. Now I kind of want to read it. <laughs> But I don't have time right now. <laughs> ain't, ain't nobody got time. To I'm just going to be honest. I ain't got time right now. No, that's okay. And Can I get the Cliff's Notes version? <laughs> is there such thing? Yes, it is. It's called the original version that was published in seven Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was so good. They're all good. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, I just... It, something that has always driven me to Stephen King uh, mainly is his character development. Agreed. And I feel like in this book and and also in many of his books, this one, like you really like get into all the characters. And uh, what I loved so much about the stand, because this is probably my favorite Stephen King book of all time. Mm. And what I loved is the fact that it's not, and yes, it's super long, right? but it's not written from the perspective of one or two characters. That's what I like too. Um, like when we talked about Dr. Sleep, mm-hmm. um, that's primarily 
told from the point of Abra, primarily told from obviously Danny Torrance and Rose the Hat. And then there's there's small bits and pieces where other characters take over the story. But for the most part, it's just told from the perspective of those three characters. Right. What I love the most about The Stand, and then we'll get into the plot, is that it's told from the perspective of so many different characters. Everybody in each camp kind of gets their own chance to lead the story. Yeah. Um, whether it's Nick or Stu or Franny and or Larry and Randall Flagg and Mother Abigail, like everybody kind of gets the chance to lead and advance the yeah. story forward. And that's, I, I just feel like he is just, Stephen King is so good at doing that because mm-hmm. like, I feel like every character, like he makes them have a purpose. Like this is, I have to put this in there because you got to learn this about, you know, this character. And he ties that in always like, throughout the the stories mm-hmm. um and i don't know it just it it kind of pulls me in a little bit more you're more it, invested yeah you're you're 100 more invested in in what happens to the characters because you feel like you're you're walking in their shoes yeah um although i'll well i should stop sidetracking and let you talk about the plot oh yeah <laughs> well because there's just so much to talk I'm, I'm, about i'm getting ahead of myself <laughs> well and and like I was saying too before, like, let me know when, um, just mentioned something that was different in the longer version. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I know they extended a, mm-hmm. a lot about that stuff. Like you had like an extra little prologue and <laughs> yeah. all that stuff. <laughs> so I will tell you that the, the prologue of the book was actually super helpful to advancing the story. Um, so bet- the big, a huge difference between, the uncut version and the 78 version that was published is this section. It's several pages at the front of the book that Mm -hmm. actually talks about um, project blue as they call it. Yes. Which is, and then also called the, once um, the book, once the story gets going, the characters start calling it like captain trips. And then there's a couple other names for the virus, but it starts out and talks about project blue and how the government created it in a controlled lab and then how it ended up breaking out. And this poor, poor guy that uh, ends up not paying attention and accidentally breaks out the the virus. And then he runs home, not realizing that he had contracted it. Oh, so he, he runs home and infects. And then I think where the stand picks up in the 78 version mm-hmm. is with Stuart Redman at the gas station and then uh, Charles Campion is the the soldier's name who's working on Project Blue. Yes. That's where he and his family crash into the gas station. And that's where the story kind of picks up from there. But that prologue was actually really helpful and it was super interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I kind of wish that was in the original. I don't know. I blame Doubleday for having a weak <laughs> printing press and shitty binding. I mean, I feel like they could have figured it out, but or, or breaking it up I, because I, it's. It, I, I don't know, well, you know how I, publishing as, goes, but but as you read it, it's broken up into several books mm-hmm. already. So it could have been, and I mean, you know, if you really wanted to make it like Lord of the Rings, then you could have broken it up into the different stories and published them individually. But I understand the reasoning for not. Um, 
and and you know consequently it ended up being a huge bestseller and was yeah and won a ton of awards and accolades for just how magnificent the story is so i i understand the need to cut it but then mm-hmm. you know the beauty of the advancements of technology we, we were able to get the the unabridged and uncut version after that yeah well okay and i know you mentioned some of the beginning of the plot but i'll continue on (laughs) (laughs) so basically the the first part of the book uh takes place over 19 days um with the escape and the spread of the the super blue super flu super blue (laughs) super flu super blue i mean kind of (laughs) the super blue virus known as project blue but also um known as uh captain trips which I like how it had, I guess, the two names. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't, yeah, the Captain Trips thing was just odd. I know. I, it was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the, um, the epidemic leads uh, directly to the death of an estimated 99.4% of the world's human population. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually, so I did the math on that, and that mm-hmm. would. Let's just say that 99.9 or 99.4% of the U.S. population today died due to the coronavirus. <sighs> if that were the case, you would, and you kind of averaged the survivors out across mm-hmm. the, the country, you would have an average of, I think it was like 69,000 people living in each state. Oh my For gosh. perspective, that is the population of the city that we're living in right now. Oh my gosh. If you were to like average it out and put all of the survivors and equally distribute them across all 50 states. So basically what you're telling me is I should sleep with my mask on. Pretty much, yeah. Great. Although COVID is, (laughs) what's the latest COVID uh, mortality rate? It's like 3.6% or something like that. That's too high. And this was 99.4%. And I'm over here thinking like even that 3% is too high. But in in contrast... (laughs) You know, when Ebola had, there was a huge, a couple of huge Ebola outbreaks in the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. One of them had a mortality rate of more than 90%, but I think that was the 80s. But it's, it's no longer a definitive death sentence now. Now the mortality rate is between like 50 and 80% with some of the advancements in medicine. But there was a huge Ebola outbreak, just what, 20, no, 2014? I think it was 2014, because that was, because that was when, um, a couple of people in the U.S. ended up getting it. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, yep, I remember that. But if you look at, and if you, the thing that I really loved the most about this is that it, this is not out of the realm of possibility, especially with some of what's going on in biological warfare labs that we know yeah. nothing about. Oh, I don't want to think about it now. <laughs> this book was so hard for me. <laughs> well, just because, like you know, like we mentioned, it's just kind of perfect that you know we read this you know in this time that we're right now i'm really glad that we did because i i read it with a fresh perspective Mm -hmm. and And, me too yeah and going back and seeing a lot of um and especially in the first part of the book and i'm sure it's probably a little more lengthy in the in book one regarding how the media was controlled by the government to tell everyone oh there's a vaccine coming next week there's a vaccine coming next week and it's like hmm how long have we been hearing that with COVID? i know it was that and then um 
martial law that it takes over in book one, trying to control the the cities that are having severe outbreaks mm-hmm. um, and to try to control the population and, you know, p- people breaking into TV stations and so forth. And I'm like, hmm, Portland? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But yeah. that, that's super accurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'll get into um, a little bit of... So, sorry, let me backtrack. Um, so, basically, we kind of get into that whole beginning of the the outbreak and other things that happen and then so basically the um they're kind of undertaken by like small survivors and they kind of go into these little groups and so we start meeting all these different characters so i kind of broke them down and i'm gonna go through (laughs) (laughs) make it easy so we have a sue's party which is Stuart redmond and he's a factory worker uh, from the little tiny town of Arnett, Texas. Go Texas! Whoop whoop! I know. <laughs> then we uh, we meet Franny. <laughs> Franny Goldsmith. She's my favorite. She's adorable. For me, well, you know why? Oh yeah. I mean, that's she's like me, just not <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> just the only difference is we're not pregnant. I'm, I'm not pregnant. Excuse me. Um, and she is from Maine. I cannot. I I was reading. In the book, and I couldn't pronounce the city. Oh, the one that starts with an O? Yep. Oh, nope. Hard pass. Og, Ognequit. Yep. I Like, the whole time I was reading, I'm like, how in the world do I pronounce Ogunquit? that? Ogunquit? Ogunquit? Ogunquit. I, I don't know. We're just going to call it O-Main. OG-Main. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's from OG-Main. And then we also meet Harold Lauder. Okay. Can I just tell you, I fucking hated harold yeah me too okay i'm, I'm glad me too for like i'm um, for a myriad of reason <laughs> reasons but i yeah I, yeah you, i could have done without harold you start you like you feel bad for him at first mm-hmm. because he's just like the real nice squishy kid yeah, he's the outcast that, yeah that just wants to be loved i'm like that was me in school me too <laughs> like i i get it i could relate to him at first and then he just turned into such a jealous dick yeah and and like real fast though yeah. well i mean not real fast because the book is so long but i mean you but, know what I'm but no, to, say. to your point it was like zero to 60 it mm-hmm. was Sorry, Franny Goldsmith doesn't love you. And now I'm going to go be a baddie with Randall Flagg. And I'm going to blow up the camp in Colorado, the free, the Boulder free zone. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I hated Harold. And, and I, I think it's mostly because I, having been that person, having been the kid that was overweight, picked on, not really liked in school and never really had like I had a good group of friends, but I was very much Harold. I could relate to him. Yeah. So whenever I see somebody that's like that, that just decides to take the path of least resistance and give up, mm-hmm. I get pissed off. Yeah. Because it's like, no, you had choices. We could have sucked it up. You could have stayed with the group. Mm-hmm. You could have tried to reform society, but no, you were bitter and you decided to take it out on everybody. Right. So I, yeah. Okay. Sorry. And yeah, no, I'm like, (laughs) there's just, like I said, there's so much. (laughs) Um, And then we also meet Glenn Bateman. I loved Glenn. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and Kojak the dog. Oh yeah. Kojak. 
Mm-hmm. I like that specifically Kojak was an Irish setter. And pretty dog. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we have uh, uh, Perriam McCarthy and Mark Braddock. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dana Jurgens. Jer- mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> yep, you're correct. Uh, super hard-headed, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Susan Stern. Mm-hmm. And Patty Croker. Mm-hmm. And then we have in Nick's party, so Nick Andros, the uh, deaf mute character. And also uh, Tom Cullen, Ralph uh, Brent Brentner, excuse me, Dick Ellis. I just <laughs> like his name, sorry. <laughs> uh, Gina McCone, Olivia Walker, and June Brinkmeyer. Mm-hmm. Which I kind of I, I kind of like June. June was too. adorable. Yeah. Um, obviously I'm like picking all the girl characters, but, <laughs> um, you know, I just like to pick out the ones that are most like me. <laughs> um, and then in Larry's party, we meet, uh, Larry Underwood, the, the pop musician or rock musician. <laughs> I don't know. Pop rock. I thought, I felt like he was more blues. Yeah. Cause I mean, well, I, I, like I took it more like rock ish. Because, I mean, the song's called, his, the big song where he made it big was called Baby Can You Dig Your Man, which is a very bluesy song. Yeah. I mean, it could be rock. It depends. Could be country. <laughs> depends on how he's singing it, I guess. <laughs> uh, then we have uh, Rita Blakemore, uh, Nadine Cross, Leo Rockway, and, oh, and Lucy Swan, and then Judge Ferris. Mm-hmm. Judge was good. Yeah. (laughs) And all of these, so it's important to note that all of these characters all kind of start out in their own respective parts of the country. Yes. And there's a lot of not only backstory with everybody and you kind of learn about their struggles and and how they got to this point. Um, Stuart Redman is almost immediately taken to this plague control facility in Stovington, Vermont. Um, actually first he ends up in Atlanta. There's a, there's that one place in Atlanta that, that he ends up first. And then with the, the group that's first exposed to the super flu by Charles Campion. So everybody within Stu's party first goes to Atlanta and then everybody that doesn't die, which is pretty much only Stu goes to Stovington, Vermont. And that's where Stu's just kind of stuck. Um, but it's so sad to read the first part of this book as you're learning about all these characters. Yeah, that was, it was really, it, it took me a little bit to get through. Well, and for, with the exception <laughs> of um, Franny and Harold and Glenn and Kojak, which Kojak doesn't count, he's a dog. Right. Um, I mean, dogs Dogs always count. I don't mean to sound they like count. that. Dogs always count. They're family. <laughs> they are family. <laughs> um, but with the exception of Franny and Harold, everybody's alone in their cities. So it was very interesting to read how, oh, oh, oh. And then um, uh, Leo and Nadine. Oh. Because he was Joe, or they called him Joe. Yes. For, for a majority of the book until he starts talking because they didn't know his name. So they just call right. him Joe. Um, but everybody kind of starts out in their own cities. And it, it's interesting that everybody on their own. And then at one part, Larry starts to go crazy. He well, Oh, oh, oh yeah, that's right. Larry and Rita were together until Rita dies. Yes. Exactly. Um, but everybody is kind of driven by this want and desire to find other human life that yeah. may be left. 
because every town is houses with the shades that are closed. There's dead bodies everywhere. There's cars piled up. And the, you know, the really terrifying part for me in this first section of the book is as as this flu starts to spread, it's very reminiscent of how COVID spread in the U.S. Yeah. Where I think, keep me honest, I, I felt like the first two cases that I heard about were actually in Washington. I think, so. yes. There was a, a yes. young boy, younger boy, grade school boy, and then an older woman. Woman had been traveling out of state, but then there was no connection that she, no direct connection that she had to this boy that contracted it in Washington, which means how many people did it spread through before it got to this kid? And the first part of this book was so scary because same thing, people are, are there one day and then they're coughing and they're sick and then nothing that, you know, some of them get better and then some of them don't. And it's, it's terrifying. And then seeing the government response to it is so reminiscent of our own government's response. I definitely took that uh, from while reading this book. Like it, yeah, that's why it's just so scary. Cause like, I almost felt like we were reading our future Mm -hmm. (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) And, and the fact when you, when you start to read the pieces about martial law taking over, Mm -hmm. um, so the, the newscasters that are being forced to read teleprompters with guns to their heads, um, and the, the, you know, the cities that are being completely blocked off, nobody gets in, nobody gets out. So it's, it was interesting to once this all happened and society was completely gone, all of these characters that were either by themselves or with just one other person were really driven by their desire to try to find other human life, mm-hmm. which as much as I hate people and I, just, <laughs> and I hate people, um, I like animals way more than people. I could, I could see how if it was just like me and peanut against the world, I mean, me and peanut against the world would be really shitty, but I would miss you a lot. I would miss you too. <laughs> so I would try to find you. I know. I I would probably just run over here first, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> the world's ending. Where's your bunker? Bree, <laughs> come over. Seriously. I think like, like we should, we should start now. <laughs> Dude, I keep telling Jared, underneath the underneath the big room in the back i keep telling him it's that part of the house foundation slightly raised we could totally build a bomb shelter under there let's do it i'm see jared you're outnumbered two to start peanut peanut votes two that's three if i'm invited i will cook every day we're down there okay now that's like a fourth vote (laughs) so it's happening Um, but yeah, that was so that was interesting. And then to your point, they all start to kind of form these different parties as they pick people up along along the way, trying to find other life. Yes. Well, and also another one of my favorite characters, where you know, pretty much, you know, kind of drives all those groups. You know, they all try to. She becomes a leader of the group, and that's Abigail Fremantle, or also oh, known as. Mother Abigail. I don't know why I wanted to call her Mother Abby. I'm like, no, that's the sound of music. We can't do that. (laughs) So I'm curious, and I do have this question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, In your version, because in mine, uh, I think it's, you don't meet her until, well, okay, back up. So Mother Abigail and Randall Flagg, 
Randall Flagg being the primary antagonist, yes. who we'll talk about in a minute. Yes. And Mother Abigail, who we're talking about now. The she's like the the leader of all of the protagonists. Yeah. The good versus evil. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So she and each of these two are psychic and start invading the dreams of survivors to try to draw the survivors toward them. And question for you and your story the chapter where you like actually meet mother Abigail and mm-hmm. you go to her house and you learn about her, her past and her history and so forth. That chapter was an hour long. It's so long. I mean, I mean, if it wasn't, I mean, I don't know how it was in your version, but I felt it was long, but I also felt like it was necessary for us to have that part of the book. I, agree. I don't know. I, I liked it. I did, I did too. A lot. I'm just wondering, was yours... Because when I... You know how Kendall tells you at the bottom? Because I'm not a slow reader. Like, I'm not a speed reader, but I'm not a slow reader. Right. And Kendall at the bottom will tell you, like, 22 minutes left in this chapter or what have you. <laughs> it's at, like, an hour and 11 minutes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> well, I mean, I have to say, like, a lot of the, the chapters took me a minute to read. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not reading on a Kendall. I'm flipping pages. Yeah. So... <laughs> I don't know if the Kindle, like, has the same... The aspect ratio? Yeah. Um, So I'll tell you this that was also very discouraging. Mm -hmm. And only... Not discouraging because I didn't like the book. I absolutely loved it. And I really loved getting to read the extended version this time. I was discouraged because I wish that I would not have picked this for a book club. Like, I, I would not... Going back, I would have either said, hey, let's do this over the course of two months. Or... Okay. Or, hey, let's pick a different book because I found myself kind of rushing through it a little bit. Yeah, agreeing. I can agree with you on that. The, yeah. the, it counts. So the very bottom of it counts the pages that you're on. Like, you know, you're on page 45 of 145 or, or you know, whatever it may be. And then when you flip it, it's you're on page 46 of 145 and so forth. Every two flips was one page. Oh, my so God. when it said thirteen hundred and fifty three pages at the bottom, <laughs> nope, two flips. It was really that would have scared me if I saw that. Like twenty seven hundred like, pages. I'm like Sarah. <laughs> that was twenty seven hundred flips for me, Bree. <laughs> oh my gosh, are your fingers okay? Oh yeah, it's just a scream. <laughs> Zoop. Zoop. I've blisters on my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> but back um, to Mother Abby. But anyway. <laughs> she you know just becomes like a huge like spiritual leader of the group of survivors and um she eventually starts uh directing them to um boulder colorado which is referred to as the the settlement that's there is referred to as the the boulder free zone um and and i do love i'm sorry oh no go ahead (laughs) It's fine. <laughs> I, I, one of the things that I loved the most about her was her faith. Oh, I know. Because I am not, I personally am not particularly religious, but I admired and loved her faith. And mm. even like little Nick Andros, who even told her that he didn't believe in God and, and was expecting for her to freak out on him. She's like, that's okay. He yeah. believes in you. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <gasps> well, and I know we're going to get into later like which characters were our favorites and Mm -hmm. which ones we kind of were more drawn to um she was another one like a big one for me because she reminds me of your granny yep 
Like I a lot. As I was reading her, I'm like, that's that is Granny. But also my great grandmother, my granny's mom, like I mean, they're they're kind of similar in mm-hmm. a way, but reading just so much about um, Mother Abigail, like, uh, it just reminds me so much of my granny. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but we'll we'll get into that later, because <laughs> I mean, uh, I just again, I just like how he just really develops all these characters. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so. Anyway, getting back to the uh, Boulder Free Zone, um, uh, Ralph Bretner, he, um, in his radio transmissions, he kind of guides the survivors in. Um, and there they begin to kind of like reestablish the, a democratic society somewhat. I don't know if I would really, I don't know, call it so much democratic even though it kind of was it was but it wasn't it's democratic yeah. in the sense that the u.s is a is a democracy right. we're, we're not a true democracy we're democracy with sprinkled in little bits of capitalism and mm-hmm. some rigged voting measures very similar to the boulder free zone right but i mean i see where it helped because basically you know everybody that you know journeyed to to boulder they kind of like formed like committees and try to, you know, rebuild the city and, um, you know, so it's a little bit more livable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's kind of like setting up a little democratic government. <laughs> uh, but then meanwhile, we have the, the other side. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, uh, we meet uh, Loin Henry, um, accused murderer. That's, that's fun. <laughs> Donald uh, Elbert, also known as the, the trash, trash can, can man. man. I feel like he needs a song. Dude, I okay. So I know, I know he's a bad guy. I know, but I, I I don't know. I really enjoyed the trash Me can too. man. Me too. Me <laughs> too. I really enjoyed the trash can man. Like I, because he's like a he's like a five year old kid that just loves fucking matches. Yes. And just, like just lighting what, everything on fire what happens when you have a big five-year-old with zero responsibility and zero fear of repercussions it's, he just goes out into the world like Wee! i know and I, I i know it's i i understand. he was another one of my favorites but i don't like i'm not a pyro so i'm, I'm not either but i can't really relate but like and hey he did save everything he, in the end yes he did so I but, will say that. But I, I love the trash can. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just like the name, too. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, we also meet Whitney. Ho- <laughs> I don't want to say her last name. Horgan. Horgan. <laughs> uh, Julie Laurie, the rat man. Oh, I hated Julie. She was so annoying. Oh, I know. She was so annoying. Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one that thought that. No, she was so annoying. Like. <laughs> like, please go. It's because she was a teenager. That's why yeah i mean but i was like i don't feel like i was an annoying teenager but maybe i was i mean i'm sure i I was an annoying teenager but i wasn't (laughs) julie laurie annoying teenager yeah it just and then uh so and then also uh barry dorgan Mm -hmm. uh jenny angstrom Mm -hmm. i like a little nightclub dancer Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, hector drogan and um and then we start to meet randall flag Mm mm-hmm Known as the Dark Man. Mm-hmm. The yep. walking dude. Yep. He's, yeah, man. 
that's some straight evil. I'm not going to say who it reminds me of. Um. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting about Randall Flagg? So you don't, we we first meet Randall Flagg in the stand. Mm-hmm. And he's the, the primary antagonist. Yeah. Other than the Captain Trip Superflu. Right. You don't meet him in the extended version until chapter 23. Really? Yeah, you're a good 400 pages into the book. Oh, wow. Before you learn about Randall Flagg. Wow. Yeah. And and that's his first appearance, not when he's stealing the car and oh, okay. and killing the guy that's got the flu to get the car. Um when you first meet him when he's walking down the highway, mm-hmm. it's not until chapter 23. And what's interesting about him is not only is he essentially evil personified, Randall Flagg, for those that are huge Stephen King fans and have read the Dark Tower series, you know that Randall Flagg is the antagonist in the Dark Tower book series. And then... Oh. Yeah. And he's also... I see. I haven't read the Dark Tower series. Oh, my God. They're so good. Don't waste your time on the movie. Do not... Like, oh, Idris I heard Elmer it was terrible. Could not save that movie. No, it was god That's awful. sad, because he's hot. I um, know. <laughs> I was but I heard it, but I did hear it was terrible. It, yeah, like do not waste your time. Well, it was it was really stupid to to try to take on that series and to not try to do it in a series of films. Mm-hmm. Um that was a really that that was just a terrible idea. Um but you see Rand, he's the primary antagonist in um the Dark Tower series and then he's also in two other Stephen King books. Mm. Um oh my god, why am I blinking? Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, the Eyes of the Dragon and Hearts in Atlantis. Oh, okay. He's also in those two. Um, and the Dark Tower group at mm-hmm. one point, this this all takes place in the same, I mean, obviously because Randall Flagg ties it together. Right. But at one point in the Dark Tower series, they actually go to Topeka kind of during the post-stand pandemic. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, now I got to read it. It's good. It's I think it's seven books total. Okay, because I didn't know that they, this is taking place after those books were taking place after the stand. And uh, if you think that the thirteen hundred and fifty three pages is long, the oh. total like seven book span of the Dark Tower is like forty five hundred pages. And <laughs> now I've lost interest. But but one hundred percent worth it. Read it. Read okay. it like in little chunks. It's it's really good. I think I might actually have them back here in the house we'll look after we're done recording but phenomenal books but um yeah randall flag okay evil, well, evil personified the evil guy <laughs> um but like you know people are just kind of more like you know the, the group is more drawn to him because they think it's he's just all about order and you know stability which but- <laughs> which is funny because if you look in parallel to our government today, mm-hmm. everyone is about order and stability. Yeah. But it's at the cost of fascism. There, I said it. Yep. I mean, you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why I said, like, I don't want to say it. <laughs> but I'm, I apologize to our listeners that may live in other states and disagree, but... Mm-hmm. That yeah. you can't if you read this you can't deny the parallels exactly randall flag is definitely um one of those characters that will remind us of um somebody right now mm-hmm. well and it's, <laughs> inter- in power. it's interesting the way that um 
Mother Abigail describes him. And I think she's describing him to Nick Andros at the time. And she's because everybody starts to realize. And, and as these little survivors start to come together in groups, mm-hmm. they start to realize that they're all being bound by these dreams. Yeah. So it's they see Mother Abigail at her home in Nebraska and they see the cornfield. They see her playing her guitar, her tire swing and so forth. And then they also see Randall Flagg in other places. And I got to tell you, one of the parts of the book that scared the living shit out of me was when Larry Underwood is still by himself. It's after Rita dies. Oh, yes. And he's wandering by himself and he's sleeping on a bench somewhere. And it's before he finds Nadine and Leo. And he hears the sound of Randall's boots walking around. That was so eerie. I'm like, what the hell's going to happen now? But it's... And and the way that Mother Abigail describes him to Nick is he's not Satan incarnate, but he it, it said something like he is an imp of Satan or something mm-hmm. like that. So he's just a ridiculously I mean evil she was person. Totally right about that. Oh yeah. <laughs> totally right. Mm-hmm. Like just a lot of the parts where, you know, it it starts, you know, getting into to Randall Flag. Like it it really scared me. It it's almost like when I was watching um, The Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just, I, it, it took me a while to sleep after uh, reading a, a couple of parts, you know, especially like, you know, the punishment, you know, for people who, who violated, mm-hmm. you know, his laws. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, his group, they kind of, quickly try to reorganize and restore power in Las Vegas and rebuild the city there. And um, he also, the group uh, starts um, schooling system and weapons program with the survivor, um, Carl. Um, he's a helicopter pilot. And then of course we have the trash can the trash man <laughs> searching the area for, <laughs> for weapons, which was never a good idea. <laughs> I just want to point that out. <laughs> um, and then it kind of gets into a little bit. Um, go back to the free zone where Mother Abigail, she's kind of like feeling a little like, you know, she's a little bit hard on herself, like being public figure. And, you know, she kind of goes into the desert and kind of just wants to clear her mind, like spiritually. Um, which I really like that part mm-hmm. in there because I feel like we all kind of need that. <laughs> Sometimes you need to find yourself. Um, and then meanwhile, like Harold's uh, bitterness over his love for Fran, which, oh God. <laughs> this is where I'm like, bro. Yeah. We have all fallen in love with somebody that did not love us back. You are not special. Get over it. But I also it. just feel like the timing is just so bad. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Anyway. She pregnant. I know. <laughs> she can't she can't love you right now. She's trying to take care of something else. Yeah. And Just she saying. wants to love Stu. Get over it. Yeah, I know. Like it I'm I'm sorry. Not to not to beat on poor Harold too much, but it's just it's so annoying. And I, I think I personally have a big pet peeve with people that have a complete and utter lack of personal responsibility. 
where everything else is someone else's fault, whether it's no, that was be- my mom made me do this or no, it, that was my sister or no, you know, this and this happened or, you know, mm-hmm. I life's not fair to me because Franny doesn't love me. Like I, I, I get so annoyed that have uh, I get so annoyed at people that have zero sense of personal responsibility and personal accountability and think that it's the entire world's fault and not theirs. Yeah. Nothing drives me more crazy, which was why the character of Harold, I just wanted to like rip him off of the, I know just delete him out of my Kindle. Um, Yeah. Well, and then also Nadine. Oh my gosh. (laughs) With her like, you know, secret commitment Uh and basically leads the two of them to detonate a, a dynamite bomb at the uh, meeting of the free zone committee mm-hmm. and their attempt to like assassinate pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the explosion kills several people and most notably Nick Andros. Um, Which can we talk about that for a minute? That part was actually really hard for me. And yeah. I know that Nick, Nick came back as a ghost in your version, right? Yes. Okay. Just making sure. Um, I had a hard time because I really loved that Nick was the person that Mother Abigail had identified to be the leader yeah. of the Boulder Free Zone. Mm-hmm. And the reason why this is such a big deal is because Nick is a deaf mute. He can't hear and he can't speak. And I think the way that she put it to him in the book is God put his thumb on you. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the reason why th- I really loved that particular part of the book that Stephen King included is because I think that there are a lot of marginalized groups and not just people that have disabilities, but people of color and people of, of you know, f- females or people that are non-binary or androgynous or gender fluid. I think that a lot of marginalized groups have and completely justifiably so the way that we have treated them over the last 400 years in this country. I feel as though a lot of marginalized people are automatically made to feel inferior and automatically made to feel like they will never be in a position to lead. So I really loved that Stephen King in the 80s or 70s picked Nick Andros, who's the most disabled of the disabled. And when he meets Tom Cullen, who Tom Cullen is is also mentally disabled. And Mm -hmm. I think... I hate using this word, but it's how it's described in the book. He's mildly retarded. Yes. And he can't read at all. So how do Nick and Nick and Tom communicate? Like, yeah, <laughs> it's like a series of charades. And I love dear sweet Tom Colin. I love him. I he know. M O O N. That spells Nebraska. Like, yep. <laughs> so cute. I know. You're like, yep, that's right. My Just loves. pat him on the head. Yep. <laughs> But I I just, I loved that they picked Nick as the leader for that reason. And then I was so crushed when he died in the explosion. I know. I was like, "Mm, I'm not going to cry. Well, and because up until, you know, up until that point, you, you're kind of made to see Nick as an inferior character. Mm -hmm. And throughout the entire book, like you obviously know that Steve's going to have to end up being the leader. Like, yeah. And you know that from the very beginning of the book, because that's where the story starts. You know it's going to be Stu. And he's like the stereotypical protagonist to, right. fill, to fit, fill that void and fit that bill. But I loved that it was Nick that was the primary leader for a while. Yeah, I really like that, too. I love um, just how 
mother abigail just you know believed in him and uh, but she she's just my favorite anyway <laughs> um but at the time of the explosion then we also discover uh mother abigail and she's like severely weakened um by her time in the uh, wilderness for her little spiritual time away <laughs> um so uh she sends to larry ralph and glenn uh to head towards um las vegas to confront randall flag worst idea ever right. um <laughs> Stu breaks his leg and um he encourages like worthless every- yeah he just <laughs> i don't know how i thought that i just figured i'd like that i knew that was gonna happen um <laughs> i didn't like when i when i first read this many years ago i'm like seriously <laughs> bro you had one job go yeah. destroy randall flag yeah and you failed <laughs> but he he just sends the other ones to you know continue on with him glenn uh leaves a uh, kojak i was like no don't leave the no, dog don't leave the dog always bring the dog <laughs> can you keep the dog stew will be fine right <laughs> that's what i was thinking the whole time <laughs> um uh but anyway so uh glenn ralph and larry they finally encounter uh with uh flags men and they take them prisoner um and then basically glenn rejects the opportunity to be spared um well he has the opportunity to be spared if he kneels and begs uh in flag for flag Mm -hmm. gross um (laughs) and um then he is shot by lloyd heinrich on flag's order this guy is so gross um (laughs) just even just going back and like going through this i'm just like remembering like it's just so many things it's just so terrible um and you know like flag the part where flag is like you know kind of telling everybody to come you know like witness that was a mass execution yeah Yeah. like that was just yeah that was really hard for me again because like i feel like these things could happen (laughs) i feel like some of them already do happen well i mean in other countries Mm -hmm. for sure i mean not the u.s but and parts yeah. of the, parts of the country, right? <laughs> I'm sure they still do. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, and then, of course, here comes the trash can man. <laughs> you sent him to find weapons. He found one. Yep, he sure did. <laughs> <laughs> and he <laughs> arrives back with a a nuclear warhead mm-hmm. and a giant glowing hand, the hand of God. Mm-hmm. I like that one. <laughs> And he uh, detonates the bro- the bomb, destroying Flag's followers and the two remaining prisoners. So I noticed throughout the book, they use the term, there's so much foreshadowing mm-hmm. in this novel. Yes, between, a lot. Between the trash can man nearly blowing everything to smithereens in the beginning when the pandemic happens, or the, the epidemic happens, and then um, the, the term, the hand of God, is referenced several times throughout the book. So I loved that it was finally all tied together at the very end. Yeah. Like this. No, I definitely um, love that. Like all the foreshadowing in there. Um, but I like the glowing hand, the hand of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like um, Stephen King should market that. Like sell the light. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be kind of cool. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Quite segueing to all this other stuff. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so Stu with Kojak and Tom Cullen. My laws. <laughs> Tom Cullen. I love that he says my laws. 
um they survive injury illness and a harsh rocky mountain winter um the three of them arrive back in boulder uh soon after the birth of franny's baby mm-hmm. yay and the baby um although the baby falls ill with the super blue he is able to fight it off and in the end Stu and fran decide to return to maine and uh the two of them are kind of like you know at the end, kind of questioning, you know, can the human race learn from its mistakes? We never do. Nope. <laughs> and the answer is no. Yep. <laughs> but mm. I hope I hope that uh, with the uh, reading of this novel, maybe it can change some minds. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I know in the extended version, there is a little bit more in the end. Uh-huh. Right? Yep. So this is I'm where... Ready. I'm ready. This is where you find out... <laughs> Because so I think for anybody that um hasn't read the Stand and the Dark Tower books, you're probably a little confused at how or like what order these things happen in because Randall Flag is in Dark Tower, and because I, I was confused personally. Well, now that you're mm-hmm. the, now that you've said that, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, now I feel like I have to read the Dark Tower eventually just so I can. Oh, it's awesome! Like, learn more. One hundred percent. Well, and. <laughs> Um, there is, there, I love going down the rabbit holes when I can't sleep. And I did it last night because one of my neighbors set off a firecracker, firework, not a firecracker, way louder than a firecracker, Mm -hmm. um, at like two 30 in the morning this morning. And naturally I couldn't go back to sleep. So what do you do when you can't sleep? You watch botched and you go down Stephen King fan theory. I'm I'm totally fine with this. (laughs) So... (laughs) While, while I'm watching some lady who's not happy with her fake boobs, I'm also reading about the different universes that all of these characters live in. And Pennywise is actually te- technically exists in the same universe as the Dark Tower universe. Really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Dang it, you're making me want to read this stuff now. It's, it's so good. Like, you you really should. And and I think... I know we, we just picked another book, but now I'm kind of like, hmm. That's okay. That's okay. We'll, we'll read... Um, we'll read it later. I'll, yeah. I'll, it'll be in... We'll, we'll break from the stand, read something else, and then maybe we'll come back to that. But anyway. Well, and I don't think The Last Final Girl is that many pages. Oh, so then we'll get through it pretty quickly then. Yeah, we can just do both but i mean we'll do an episode on the last final girl and then we'll just read dark tower on the side it's really really good you will not be disappointed it's really okay. good okay um but yeah so going back to randall flag there's an entire epilogue about how randall did not die oh in in the back part of the book even though there's the big nuclear explosion that kills everybody right um so he actually goes and starts trying to recruit other people to become part of his little crazy cult. Of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Because, and and I love that this piece was included because it is this metaphor for the fact that true you will never be rid of true evil in this world. Yep. It's very so, true. You could physically blow it up with a nuclear warhead. You will never be true. Mm-hmm. Be be done with true evil. It's always going to come back. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Mm. Um. So yeah, I I absolutely loved the unabridged version. 
again, if you're going to, if, if any of our listeners are part of book clubs, I highly suggest that if you're going to read it, you, unless you really are, have nothing to do and you have a lot of extra time, which is very possible right now, right now you might because (laughs) we couldn't wear our masks. So now we're back in phase one of COVID lockdown again. So you might have time if you do have a lot of spare time, definitely read it. But I suggest not forcing yourself through it too quickly um, because I think you'll miss a lot of things. And I found myself at certain points, kind of my eyes glazing over and again, talking about, you know, some of the additional travel that's in there. That's a little monotonous. Um, Okay. So there were times when I just had to put the Kindle down and be like, okay, I can't, I'm too tired. I gotta, I gotta come back to this later. Um, I don't suggest reading it as part of a book club, unless you are all really fast readers or you Mm -hmm. break it up into different pieces. Yeah. I would definitely say break it up for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then some fun facts about the book. So we talked about how long it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and while it's, it is indeed very, very long, um, there it actually had roots in an earlier story that Stephen King had first dreamt up about the super flu. Um, and in the 1969 science fiction short story called Night Surf, um, which was published in the University of Maine's Ubris Literary Journal. Uh, that's when Stephen King originally kind of dreamt up this whole story for a pandemic. Oh, okay. Um, so, but in this early iteration, the virus originates in Southeast Asia, not oh. in the U.S. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. Um, and like we talked about, he had said that he wanted to pay homage to J.R.R. Tolkien and write this epic fantasy novel, but taking place in the U.S. Um, So he had said when he was asked about it, instead of a hobbit, my hero was a Texan named Stu Redman. And instead of a dark lord, my (laughs) villain was a ruthless drifter and supernatural madman named Randall Flagg. Okay. And the land of Mordor was played by Las Vegas. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, I am. That makes a lot of sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then chemical weapons tests also help um, spark his thinking. Oh. So he found some inspiration with the Dugway sheep incident of March 1968, uh, an episode in which some 6,000 sheep dropped dead on ranches near the Army's Dugway proving grounds in Utah. Oh. Yeah. And the military initially denied any connection. Of course. As they always do. <laughs> uh, but la- a later report revealed that the sheep were victims of, ner- of nerve gas a nerve gas test that blew away from the base. Wow. Not us though. We didn't do it. Yeah. What nerve gas? Look over there. Look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank, thank you, Jada. Thank you, Jada Essence Hall. <laughs> uh, um, and then he also took some inspiration from an earlier pandemic novel. So he actually cited George R. Stewart's novel, Earth Abides, about oh. one of humanity's last survivors after a devastating pandemic destroys most of mankind, mankind as a pivotal inspiration for the stand. Okay. Um, so the novel was also a product of current events at the time. Um, so some of the contemporary changes in politics and society kind of helped to shape the stand and inspired him to write the novel with based on the America that he grew up in. Yeah. Uh, so as a, this is a quote from his novel dance macabre, which is, uh, his nonfiction story that discusses a lot of his inspiration. Oh, okay. Um, so 
it's writing he says that its writing came during a troubled period for the world in general and america in particular we were suffering from our first gas pains in history we had just witnessed the sorry end of the nixon administration and the first presidential resignation in history we had been resoundingly defeated in southeast southeast asia mm-hmm. vietnam war yep and we were grappling with a host of domestic problems, from the troubling question of abortion on demand to an inflation rate that was beginning to spiral upward in a positively scary way. Mm. Not much has changed. Yeah, really. Um, uh, and he said, the America that I had grown up in seemed to be crumbling beneath my feet. Yep. And this is something that I actually talk with um, Jared's parents about a lot. And then also with my own mother. Things are so different in the year 2020. And it's been different since the spawn of the internet and the digital age right because information can circulate so quickly around the globe and it's it's so different today because our parents grew up in a time when you trusted your government our grandparents grew up i talked to my mom about that too yeah like just you know just talking to her like because she was in the time you know vietnam war she was going getting ready um high school going into college and you know i just talked to her about that time like you know that's when you know everybody really started to be like oh no like this can't happen like we need to protest and (laughs) you know everything like well and then you looked at the you know the pentagon papers being published and completely blowing open the fact that our government sent us to fight a war that they knew we weren't going to win. Yeah. They knew we had zero chance of winning it. And they sent for years and years, they sent our poor citizens to die. Yeah. Just sent them in, just sent them in blindly. Yes. And exposed them to so many toxic chemicals that at the time, nobody bothered to test regulate or have any understanding of the long-term side effects and now fast forward 50 60 years later now we're seeing veterans that are developing odd types of cancer as a direct result of exposure long-term exposure to agent orange i mean it's it's so interesting that he had all of this in mind when he was writing because he could see even during that time my whole world is crumbling even before the age of the internet before technology before the digital age yeah he could see this is not going to end well mm-hmm. and i can no longer trust the government that i grew up believing in yeah um still holds true today though too oh absolutely and it's it's interesting to have this conversation with people of our parents generation of baby boomers and and generations beyond right um because there was a time when you did trust your government. Mm-hmm. You didn't question things. And if they told you that 6,000 sheep just up and died and they don't know why, you believed them. Like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Moving on. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Christian Radio made a contribution as well. So he revealed uh, in this same, in Dance Macabre, uh, he revealed a third inspiration for the stand, uh, a single line he had heard in a radio broadcast of a sermon when he was living in Colorado. So the line was once in every generation, the plague will fall upon them, Mm. which okay, it's happening. Yeah. I mean, a little less than, well, it depends on what you want to identify as a plague, like a literal plague or a figurative plague. I mean, would you say COVID-19 is kind of a plague? Oh, that is a, that is a literal plague. Okay. But then thinking about (laughs) when was the last major pandemic? that our generation experienced well and you know granted, what about the that crazy flu virus the Could spanish that be, flu yeah 
from 1919? No, 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 no. I meant um, like the one flu virus that at first they were saying killed more people than COVID. It was like a couple years back. It was just some strain of the flu. I don't remember. Which one? Was yes. it the swine flu? Oh, I got the swine flu. We were in New York for Jared's you brothers. You got the swine flu? I did. You didn't know that? No. I mean, did you tell me that? I don't know. It was 2009. Picture no. it. Well, New York, <laughs> 2009. Well, you know what? I don't... No, we didn't. I, I don't think we knew each other. Well, I don't think we knew each other in 2009. Yeah, I don't think we knew each other yet. We met each other two years later in 2011. Yep, sure did. Um, And my whole world changed for the best. I uh, know. And look where we are now. <laughs> <Right>? Anyway... <laughs> Um, no, I, I got it in, we, we were going for Jared's brother's graduation from West Point and we were in New York and we we're on the wonderful disease ridden recycled air tubes known as airplanes. And that's how Oof. I got it. Um, and I was so sick. I had to go to the hospital for the night. I was, I was really, really sick, but I was fine. I made it. I survived, but well, I was also, I, well, I was also like 21 years old. Too, oh my so. gosh yeah as, so as i mean that's what i was saying like maybe that one kind of yeah you know if you just keep your body at like 80 proof from drinking all the time <laughs> you'll probably be fine there's enough alcohol to kill anything in there maybe that's the cure for the coronavirus everybody <laughs> just, just get drunk just keep drinking <laughs> you'll um, be fine <laughs> so another uh, another uh, interesting tidbit uh the boss aka bruce springsteen gave the book its title um, so oh. it comes from the lyrics to Springsteen's sweeping "Born to Run" closer, "Jungle Land." I didn't Land. know that. No, I thought so. The line in the song is "Tonight all silence is all silence is." Oh, geez, I'm sorry. Hold on, back up. You can read, Sarah. <laughs> Tonight all is silence in the world as we take our stand down in Jungle Land. Ah. Oh. So I thought. That the stand referred to a couple of different things. I thought it could refer to the group standing together to try to reform some sort of a democratic society. I thought that it was the group taking a stand to fight Randall Flagg mm -hmm. in Las Vegas. That's where I thought that the book came from. Yeah. I didn't know it came from George, uh, Bruce Springsteen's song. Oh, good job, boss. Right? <laughs> um, and also, Stephen King nearly abandoned writing the book. Uh, in his 2000s part memoir, part how-to guide called On Writing, um, he admits... It was a really good book, by the way. I, I know I mentioned that before. I know. I need to read it. You can read Dark Tower and I'll read On Writing. You're going to finish On Writing before I finish Dark Tower. <laughs> um. So he admitted that his writer's block nearly killed the stand when he realized his characters were doomed to make the same mistakes that led to their society's woes. Um, but then he later had said that all he had to do was that in that from that writer's block was born the explosion from Nadine and Harold. And all he said, all, all I had to do to keep the story moving was to blow up half the main characters. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Trash can man. <laughs> right. Well, and then the the villain of Randall Flagg was pulled partially from history. So, um, okay, and, that makes sense. That well, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and in your version, um, 
does when you're meeting Randall Flag, do does your version talk about Donald DeFreeze? You know what that I don't think so. Because mine does. Um so in this I don't know, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't I'm like trying to think now. Because in like going back <laughs> in, in the extended version when they're talking about and, and originally Stephen King wanted to write a novel about the Patty Hearst kidnapping. Okay. Um oh, wow. Yeah, so but he never did. And then a pivotal character in her life was those this Randall Flag type uh, villain who was actually her kidnapper who was Donald DeFreeze. And in this novel, it actually connects the two together and says that Randall Flag inspired him to do many of the things that he did including the kidnapping of Patty Hearst. Mm. So I thought that was an interesting parallel. Huh. Okay. But yeah. I don't know. I just said, I, for me, I felt like Randall Flagg was just more of kind of like the, just more of like, based on like a lot of like the fascist leaders that kind of have ruled in the world. I don't know. That's where I took him from. But that's just me. It's, it's funny how <laughs> you can, me. no, 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 you're right. And it's it's not funny haha but right. but more funny interesting of how while there are so many different types of personalities and so many different types of leaders there are certain people that you can pigeonhole into one archetype and that one archetype is pure evil <laughs> and Randall Flag is 100% evil personified but like so many other fascists and dictators before him they all fall under that umbrella mm-hmm. um so that was interesting i have some questions yeah. for you i'm ready so what was your initial reaction to the story and did it take you some time to get into it or a little bit mm-hmm. but also i kind of feel like before before we started um, reading it i watched the series uh movie that was made i mean there was a few mm-hmm. i'm trying to remember which one i watched but it was like one of the first ones i think i'm pretty sure where they broke it down to like a couple parts um series on tv um so i think that kind of ruined it for me but yeah um like it took me a little bit to get into it but it was the the stories of the different characters that kind of like drew me in because I'm not like super big on kind of like I don't know I don't want to say like sci-fi I don't really see this as like sci-fi but I don't know it just takes me a little bit longer to get in these type of books like the post-apocalyptic right yeah, yeah. Po- there I'm sorry that's what I meant to say not sci-fi because I know post post-apocalyptic is kind of in the sci-fi, the sci-fi realm genre but um it it always takes me a little bit to get into books like this just yeah. because of the the topic yeah but like um like i was saying before like it was you know uh stephen king's ability to kind of just draw me in with each character's story mm-hmm. and i was like okay we're getting somewhere yeah like <laughs> but the beginning kind of took me a little bit but then further in i was like okay like this is cool well, and to your point, 
because we were talking earlier about some of the parallels between the character development in this novel. And then you fast forward, what, 40 years to Sleeping Beauties, because that was published in what, 20? 20. That was real recent. So that's. I remember lugging that thing around on a plane with me. Yeah, because it came out and they're like, this is what we're reading. Yeah. (laughs) Wasn't that 20? It was whatever year. I want to say 2018. It was probably 2018. So 2017 or 2018. It was one of those. Whatever year I spent most of my life on an airplane going back and forth to New York for work. I felt like it was both those years. That was probably 2018. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because I remember lugging that around on the plane with me. and Because it was a big freaking book. Yeah. No. That was huge. But looking at some of the parallels between that and The Stand, I absolutely did not like sleeping beauties i i thought that the story was weak i thought that some of the decisions that the characters made made no sense Mm -hmm. i didn't like that i could tell where stephen king left off and owen king picked back up that was that was the main thing for me i felt like and no shade but i just feel like owen needed a little bit more editing i agree i mean that's what i say no shade I know he's young. He's <laughs> so, not that young. Well, he's not, well okay. Well, he's old young, enough to know better. Younger. <laughs> I just felt like at some he's times, not as seasoned as his dad, right? But I felt like sometimes he was trying too hard. I agreed. Agreed. So, and I think that was the problem. Like, I probably would have liked Sleeping Beauties better if if it was just written by Stephen King. The one saving grace for that novel and the only reason I was able to finish it and I didn't give up was to your point, the way that the characters were developed. Mm-hmm. And I did appreciate while while the story is unfolding, each character's camp was in their own chapters so you had one chapter that was about Stuart redman in arnett texas and then you know it would pick up with franny goldsmith when she's telling her parents that she's knocked up out of wedlock and then you move forward to nick andros and his story and then you move forward to lloyd and poke the really psycho friend and serial killer that he hangs out with (laughs) like so I appreciated that there was a lot of background and to your point, it was a little tough mm-hmm. at the start. Yeah. Just, just a little bit for me. Yeah. But. Cause, and, and you know, this sounds really terrible, but the extended version is just so long and I feel bad. I keep saying that, but it's real long. <laughs> um, and as you're learning about the stories of everyone, I found myself by page like 200. When are people going to start dying? Like we gotta, yeah. we gotta speed this let's, up. Let's folks. get it going. <laughs> it's, it's just like The Walking Dead. You're like, when are is everybody gonna die? I could never. Yeah, I un <laughs> unpopular opinion. <laughs> Super unpopular opinion. I'm sorry, I could never get into The Walking Dead. I tried. so I liked hard. it, but now I feel like it's just very long winded. <laughs> I tried so hard, but it just I couldn't do it. Um, yeah. Uh, let's talk about themes of the book. What themes did you pick up on? Um, well, a couple of the ones that I kind of picked out. Um, I mean, I put teamwork, but I don't, I don't, I don't feel like that's the right word. <laughs> I'm, I mainly want to say like, 
I guess I can just, I'll, I'll keep it at teamwork. Because, like, a lot of it, even if it was, like, on the good side or the evil side, everybody was still coming together for, for one. a common cause. Yeah, for a common cause, which is, we have to rebuild. It's collaboration. Okay, there we go. Collaboration. <laughs> um, and that one uh, stood out for me. Just, you know, everybody coming together to, you know, just for one purpose and just reconstructing civilization and creating the the leadership just to kind of make America better again. Um, and that that's one of them that I took from the book. Um, uh, also, uh, I would say um, also sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, that is um, also um, another one. There's, I mean, you, you got stew, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, no, take that back. <laughs> I was like, sorry. do we count Stu? He broke his leg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stu, Stu had mean, zero help in the end of this we book. Can. I mean, he's kind of included because he like started to go and he was going to go and talk to Randall Flagg. So, I mean, we just point out, you know, Stu, you know, Ralph Glenn and Larry, you know, basically going in. I mean... And then, and then also we got good old trash kid, man. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if we would have put him in sacrifice, but kind of. Um, <laughs> how, how, how does one begin to classify the trash can man's involvement? Um, <laughs> you know, I guess you could call it sacrifice, but he more, he more did it for his own selfish reasons. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I, I, the outcome was the desired outcome. Although you did never end up destroying Randall Flag, but right. Well, now that yeah, I mean, the people who read my book think he was destroyed. Yeah, <laughs> but in your version, not so so much true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Was there anything that you kind of picked up? I, I picked up on, you know, the the similar ones that you did. Um, I think also there's a little bit of redemption in there. Yeah. So if you look at the character of Larry Underwood, who truthfully also annoyed me for a good part of the book. <laughs> yep. Because he's very, he's very self-serving. Um, and he is very, mm, he's very self-centered. Mm-hmm. In within the world of Larry Underwood is just more Larry Underwood, and then when things don't go his way, he starts yelling at people, and he did it in the Boulder Free Zone. He did it when he was hanging out with Rita Blakemore. He did it when he picked up Nadine and Leo. Mm-hmm. When Nadine didn't know how to ride a motorcycle, and then he starts getting real crappy with her. Um, and then the way that he treated Rita, who's just this sweet old lady who's terrified and she's never had to do anything for herself. I mean, he he's kind of an asshole for for yeah. for about two thirds of the book mm-hmm. up until the explosion happens with the Boulder Free Zone in the Boulder Free Zone. And then that's when everyone decides we need to make this stand against Randall Flagg in Las Vegas. And then he kind of redeems himself in agreeing to to go and sacrifice himself to end Randall Flagg. Yeah. So there's some redemption there because for a good chunk of the book, he's not my favorite person um also i think that to beat on harold louder a little more um 
this this whole theme that jealousy will 100% drive you mad and mm-hmm. turn you into someone that you no longer recognize and someone that your friends and family will no longer recognize. So I think that that's an important theme to note, especially for those that struggle with it. Yeah. And then there's always the age old overarching theme of good versus evil. Oh, of course. And yeah, I didn't want to pick that one because I know it's like the obvious one. (laughs) (laughs) So I was trying to like dig a little deeper, you know, clearly because we've got, you know, Mother Abigail versus Randall Flagg like that, you know. And, and, like, yeah, and even the characters against each other, or even even the government against its people. I mean, because you can almost like say like, you know, you have it's almost like a, a heaven, you know, versus hell mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. But obviously, like I said, I didn't want to like pick out the obvious. I'm theme. all about the low hanging fruit. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's so easy to grab. Thank you. Right. <laughs> But yeah, those were, you know, some of the things that I thought kind of stood out. Um, Also, like some other reasons why I I would suggest someone, you know, would read The Stand is that a lot of the uh, characters are very relatable. Mm -hmm. Like, like we were talking, just going through the characters before, um, you know, even though we we love to hate them, but Harold... (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> super relatable mm-hmm. <laughs> nick very relatable franny like and, and i think a lot of people would be drawn in like we were mm-hmm. um to their their story their backstories and i think people would really like that and i would encourage them to read read the book because of that um also the action mm-hmm Lots of action. There's, I mean, especially, I mean, obviously when the nuclear bomb detonates in Las Vegas, that's like, you know, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. But even like the parts where, you know, where uh, uh, Flag is um, um, telling um, Harold and and, uh, Nadine to go, you know, assassinate the leaders and all that. Like, there's just, I don't know, it... I would say full of action, but also the suspense in the book. Cause like, you're just, for me, I just wanted to keep reading cause I wanted to know what would happen next. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then uh, again, you know, Stephen King pulling me in because I don't know other, other than that, I think I probably would have kind of just trailed off and like, Oh, okay. Close. Uh-huh. <laughs> like even like sleeping beauties. I liked the book, but like, I found myself, like kind of trailing off and like it was hard kind of closing the book a little bit that book was so hard <laughs> um but um but also like like we mentioned before like the 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 structure you know of the writing where you know we have the point of view of different characters in the book and i don't know for me that was one of the reasons uh, another reason why i kept reading mm-hmm because there's not, I, I can't really say there's a lot of books that are like that. I mean, other than Stephen King, but I mean, other writers, I feel like don't really do that often. No, it's, it's not as well broken up. There's, a, there's usually a lot of um, flipping back and forth between characters in, within the same chapter, mm-hmm. but it's not as common to find authors that will break them up. At least in, in a lot of the books that I've read, it's not been as common to find authors that split up stories by chapter. 
which is very helpful for me. And it gives me a good stopping point because I like to read before bed. It just kind of helps to relax me. And then that way I'm not scrolling through my phone on social media because the more time goes on, the more I feel like social media is just poison and people spend too much time on it. So I've been trying really hard to read more before I I go to bed. Um, There's just too much out there. (laughs) it, It is. And it's, you know, I'm finding... I'm finding that I'm starting to think a lot less of people based on what they post on social media. <laughs> I'm like, I, whoops. No, 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 not you. Not you. No. <laughs> um, so it, I, I appreciate that it's broken up a little bit better. Um, how did you feel about the ending? And would, do you wish that something would have been different? Well, now actually, after hearing the extra part at the end of your extent, the extended version that you read, mm-hmm. I would have liked that to be in the original. Mm-hmm. I mean, and obviously because, and now that I'm hearing that it ties into um, the dark tower, the dark tower. And, and, and just to your point where, you know, evil is always going to exist no matter what. I think I would have rather liked that to be at the ending. Yeah. Instead of kind of like a sort of, sort of happy. And I don't know if it's really happy, but. You know, to, to that end, I don't know that I would have had Stu break his leg. I would have had him go to Las Vegas and die. Yeah. But I just, yeah, no. That, I, yeah, that's true. And then leaving the dog with him. Kojak. Like, why? Because dogs are everybody's best friend. But I mean, like, what are they going to do? hang out tell stories have conversations i talk to peanut all the time but yeah but i mean like i agree like keep him company couldn't they just like i don't know find some food if debris or something and just carry him i mean food for (laughs) food for kojak if he dies i mean i don't know i mean but i am i am glad ultimately that they left that he did break his leg and he did have kojak stay with him because to my my one gripe with this book too many animals died yeah every time i turn a page there's mention about dead dogs and other oh my god and then in yours can we please talk about lloyd's bunny was that in your version yes oh oh my god like if you guys if you guys don't already know us um we really don't like to hear or see um, animals die no. in books or movies. It's so. why I haven't seen. <laughs> I have. I have made it my thirty-two years on this planet. I'm thirty-two, right? I'm not thirty-three. <laughs> I think I'm thirty-two. I, <laughs> yes, I was born at eighty-eight. I'm thirty-two. Sorry, I forget. It's it, it, when you turn after you turn thirty, you just you just forget. stop counting. Yeah, <laughs> it's not worth counting anymore. <laughs> Uh, I have made it my 32 years on this planet without seeing a single John Wick movie because the whole premise of John Wick is that the dog dies and he's pissed. I yep. don't need to see that. I, I So the <laughs> fact that you hear about Lloyd's bunny that he forgets to feed and his bunny's so hungry that he chews his own feet off. I'm oh. like, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I, I hate it. And just want to pull the bunny out of the pages. I know. That was awful. Like, <laughs> totally could but you know what? Hearing about Lloyd chomping down on the, the leg of his soulmate when Lloyd's the only prisoner left alive before Randall Flagg comes and bails him out of prison and he starts chowing down on the leg of his prisoner, the dead prisoner next door, didn't bother me. 
the, the dead bunny bothered me. Chewing again, on the dead inmate. <laughs> again, we care more about animals than people, apparently. I, 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 I don't know what's wrong with me. It's fine. It's, it's totally like fine. Im- improper toilet training or what, but... Anyway. But, yeah, I mean, I... Like I said, I would have liked to have your ending in there. Yeah. That's just me. But Kojak has to live. And, and also Kojak has to live. The whole time. And the bunny. And the poor bunny. <laughs> Let's change that too. <laughs> um, which character did you relate to the most? Um, there was a couple. Um, I kind of mentioned a little bit before, but um, uh, Franny Goldsmith. Um, she just reminded me a lot of myself. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, very like, you know, friendly, kind of happy go lucky. And, but like the most, one of the things that stood out is just like, she's just very giving. Mm-hmm. And that, that's me. It also, you also, giving? <laughs> it's also dangerous. You give way <laughs> too much. Yeah. So that's why, you know, I said, you know, like Franny is she just kind of like me I, I don't know I I've, I kind of seem to find a character in every book that I read that I feel like I can mm-hmm. super duper relate to um also uh Mother Abigail mm-hmm. like I said before that was my grandmother to a T yeah like I mean she wasn't always like pushing uh, not so much pushing religion but like she would just always like mention little things here and there um and always just had really strong faith and mm-hmm. in, in in god but also like in people like no matter like what you know they did in a previous life or you know or current <laughs> life she always would find like some some good in people and i feel like mother abigail was the same uh, for me. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Um, well, in my, my younger years, I related to Harold before he turned on everybody and started blowing things up. I was just going to ask that. Because <laughs> I haven't blown anything up yet, um, nor do I have intentions of it. And the other one that I actually related to a bit is, and I'm almost ashamed to say so, is Glenn Bateman. Because oh, okay. in case you haven't noticed... I am a little bit of a pessimist <laughs> and I have no. zero faith in humanity. Um, well, I mean, it's kind of hard to have any kind of faith right now. Right now it's tough. To be honest. <laughs> right now it's tough. There are some, there are some people like you and a lot of our other friends and like, <laughs> and, and like Jared who like honestly and truly between you and Jared, you guys kind of give me faith that there's still good left in the world. Um, you guys in blue and a few other of our blue, friends. We love you. <laughs> we love you, blue. Um, <laughs> I, I, I struggle. I struggle on the daily and especially with reading, reading news and what's going on. But just hearing Glenn talk about society and how he has very little faith that society will be able to reform um, and that society will be able to reform in any semblance of what it used to be. So yeah. I, I kind of, found myself relating that and also he's a talker and talks far too much and i also talk far too much so i i relate to glenn Bateman. <laughs> i don't think you talk too much oh girl <laughs> <laughs> oh girl i thought it was me <laughs> oh, i talk way too much 
I talk loud. You gets know. me in trouble sometimes. Loud, talkative black women. Loud noises. <laughs> um, did the book change your perspective on anything as you were reading it? Do you feel any differently now than before when you started it? That I made mean, sense. sorry. Well, no, no, <laughs> no. The my the way I worded my last sentence made no sense. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, it just for me, it just kind of it, it definitely relates a lot to what's going on right now and i don't know it just kind of makes me lose a little bit more faith a little bit in humanity i just i i I feel like we can change but we're so far away from that right now i feel i i can really relate to that and yeah to expand on that right now not just the U.S., but all of society is standing mm-hmm. standing on the edge of a precipice. Yeah. We have some very tough decisions that we need to make soon before it's too late and before the doomsday clock moves another minute closer to midnight. And it has to do with how we, not just communication within the U.S., because obviously we have a terrible time listening to each other right now. Yeah. Um but also how we communicate on a global level. And we only have a chance of saving humanity and saving society if all of us globally work together. And this is on a a couple of different fronts. One being with nuclear warfare, because very similar to the Cold War of the 60s, we've kind of been at this weird armistice standoff between us and North Korea and us and Russia and pre-Obama, it was us and Cuba. And I mean, there have only been two nuclear bombs detonated during a time of war in history. And obviously those were the two that were detonated in Japan during World War II. Obviously, many more have been detonated during testing. And I think Russia actually, the Tsar Bomba was the largest nuclear bomb to ever be detonated. And it was a hydrogen bomb. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we have those capabilities absolutely terrifies me. Yeah, and, seriously. And looking at the leadership and power right now really terrifies me. And not just with the U.S., but with... Well, just everywhere. Yes, it's, it's, it's terrifying. Everybody's just gearing up for... God knows whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, you keep hearing all these new, you know, weapons being created and I'm, I'm like you, I'm seriously, where's that bunker? Well, and <laughs> well, so like expanding on, on what you had said about your feelings after reading this and, and your perspective, you know, ex- continuing to expand on that. Look at what this pandemic has taught us. We've known for a while that our planet is dying. Mm-hmm. Global warming has been on the on the tip of everyone's tongue for yes. the better part of 20 years. 90 what, what is it 95% of NASA scientists agree that global warming is an issue. Yeah, and I is, mean look at the summer we're in right now. Right, and it's <laughs> contributing to a lot of what's going on with you know ecology with our yep. climate and so forth. So But if you look at what has happened during our pandemic, 
during this shutdown, because we're going on four months of shutdown now, and not just for the U.S., but globally, there has been a shutdown. Yeah. There is a hole in the ozone layer near the Arctic Circle that has already started to repair itself just within a matter of months. So it's not it's not that God, it's so hard to think about. Right, but 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 here's the here's the terrifying part of this. It's not that we can't or that we don't have the capabilities to stop these problems. It's that we won't. And there is a huge difference between can't and won't. And looking into the stand, same thing. There's a huge difference between can't and won't, between the entire book. It is in every decision that these characters make from the minute that Charles Campion drives out of that army bunker when Project Blue goes haywire and he's Mm -hmm. exposed and he escapes because he decided that he won't stay in for the greater good and die and have the whole facility burned down. And he would have saved the entire world had he done that. And he, you know, yes, it sucks. He would have had to martyr himself to do it. Right. But it's this whole, and I guess we should have talked about that with themes is, and this is something that I struggle with in our personal lives is people that say that they can't do things or governments that say that they can't do things. No, like that's not the proper term. It's right. that you won't do it. Exactly. You 100% have the capability, but mm-hmm. you refuse to. Um, so, you know, long winded answer to the question of, did it change my perspective? I think it just made me more terrified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of everything. Yeah. Like it just kind of made me lose, like I said, just made me lose a little bit more hope. Yeah. And like I, further and further. <laughs> and and looking at things I have I my hope is slightly renewed when I see new and younger, less corrupt leadership coming into play within our own government with some of the young and diverse Congress people that have been elected in 2018 and now hopefully in 2020, it gives me a little bit of hope that people are pissed off enough mm-hmm. with the status quo. And we realize this, this can't keep going. Yeah. So we'll see. <sighs> Just keep happy thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this, like, that's what I said. Also, another reason why it was just hard for me to get through this book, because, like, everything I'm reading, I'm like, God, I feel like some of this stuff is just, like, happening. <laughs> but it, it's, it's so... You know, it's not, but it, you know what I mean? Like, it... But, yeah. you know, it was when we read, um, the before the Handmaid's Tale series came out, mm-hmm. it was the same feeling I had reading that book by Margaret Atwood, yep. and it came out, what, 1980? Mm-hmm. And this came out in 1978. Oh, I mean, our authors have been trying to tell us. Yeah, they're like, hey, hello. Or George Orwell's 1984. Oh, I mean, well, yeah, that uh, honestly, that's like the yeah, the big one. Our authors have been trying to tell us things and caution us for a long time. Or Brave New World. Brave New World was that was a mind trip. Also, that series just started. Oh, did it really? Uh, Yeah, I believe it. It's it's on now. So I don't think I have read that. I haven't. I haven't read high school. You know what? I haven't read it. Oh, you haven't. You want my at copy? Least, I think at I least still I have don't it. remember reading it. I think I still have. Because if I did, then it was a long time ago. But yes, <laughs> I I remember reading it. Did, you did honors English classes in high school, right? I sure did. Brave New World was summer reading for my 
honors English classes from freshman to sophomore year. Oh, wow. Of high school. And yeah, I, see, I don't remember that list. Be- I mean, honestly, I went to high school so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like maybe it was like on the list, but like you could choose which one. And I probably just didn't choose that one. It was that. It was Silas Marner and I don't remember. Oh, 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 The Good Earth by Pearl Buck. Which nope, see, I didn't read that either. I, the only like truthfully the only thing that i remember from the good earth was the main character's dad telling him to marry an ugly woman so that she would still be a virgin <laughs> oh man <laughs> that was, what that's the only thing i remember from the good earth <laughs> wow um well wow. let's let's talk about um the mini series that's coming up because i yes i didn't i never watched the original mini series from 94 i should but I haven't. I'm going to. Okay. But the 2020 version that's coming out, uh, James Marsden plays Stu Redman. I don't hate that. Oh, okay. Um, Amber Heard, I do hate this because I oh, don't like no. her. Plays Nadine Cross, but of course. But Nadine's of kind course. of a villain, and so well, is Well, that's why I was saying I'm like, of course mm-hmm. she's Nadine. That right. makes so much sense. Um Glenn <laughs> Bate or uh I'm sorry, Glenn Bateman's gonna be paid. Oh my god paid played by greg kinnear which i love oh i mean he's also gonna get paid though he is gonna get paid <laughs> <laughs> um odessa young who i am not familiar with plays franny oh okay um and then henry zaga who i am also not familiar with he is a brazilian actor is going to play nick andros Whoopi oh. Goldberg <gasps> is going to play mother abigail of course you know honestly i like i mean i know she's probably just taking a really long break but there's uh an actress that i absolutely love i'll think of her name continue i'll think of her name and i'll tell you who i thought that would play her Um, anyway (laughs) tom cullen is played by brad william hankey who i am not familiar with but apparently he is an american actor and former national football league player Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? Joven Adepo, who I have seen. He was in Fences. Yep, um, he was. He was great. He's playing Larry Underwood, which, perfect. Yeah. I can absolutely see that. Here's the piece that kind of threw me off. Um, Alexander Skarsgård's playing Randall Flagg. I thought he was playing Stuart Redman. Yeah, that's what I thought. He's not. He's playing Randall Flagg. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, I. I don't know about that. Um, I I just yeah I don't know about that. You know I don't hate it actually. I I just. <laughs> I I I loved Alexander Skarsgård in True Blood. Like we'll never be better than True Blood. Oh, oh, of course. Oh, and he was great in um. Oh my God, Big Little Lies. Oh yeah. As yes, the he was total asshole husband um and then fun fact <laughs> marilyn manson makes a cameo in this apparently what i'm not he not busy these days that's for sure but what is he doing though i don't know he doesn't have a character listed <laughs> but he's in it <laughs> okay uh-huh. i mean yeah so huh. i think i i think this is gonna be what is your but last thing because we've talked for like two hours about this book really? which is yeah which is still not enough to talk about the whole book um 
but what are what is your hope for this series? If there's one thing that you hope they hold true to, what is it? I really, I mean, since they're doing like a series with this, I really, really hope they stick straight to the book. Which we know they won't. I mean, and I know they won't because they're probably going to want to extend the crap out of it, which is fine. But then if they do that, then I kind of hope that maybe they'll kind of go into the Dark Tower books since there's a connection there. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, because like the other series, the one that I watched, I was really bored. When? 1994 miniseries. Yeah, Yeah, that was the original stand. Yeah. Okay. I, I did watch the original. Oh, okay. Okay, no, maybe it was just this one. Four episodes, yep. Four episodes is not enough. Yeah. I re- <laughs> I'm just I'm just telling you, speaking from 1,353 pages, four episodes is yeah. not enough to do the story. Yeah, the, the cast was, like, pretty good. I will say uh, Ruby D as Mother Abigail fit, like, perfect. Yes. Um, and um, uh, Gary Sinise was Stu. Huh? Yeah. I'm. <laughs> oh, wait, no, th- this one's gonna kill you. Mm. Uh, Molly Ringwald was Franny. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. And uh, Jamie Sheridan was Randall Flagg. Yeah. Gotta see what else was this guy in. Uh oh, he did a lot of. He was, oh, NCIS, Homeland. Yeah, I don't know much of him, but I've seen his face, though. But, yeah, it was, it was. Oh, this old guy. Yeah. I was Uh, a little bored. I just got to say. The mullet that he has. Also, um, Rob Lowe was Nick. Oh, my God. What year is this? 94? (laughs) Yes. Oh, sweet Jesus. Who else from St. Elmo's Fires in the 94 version of the stand? <laughs> oh, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Well, I, uh, very similar to you, knowing that they won't keep to the book, my hope is that they, they don't drastically change the story. Right. And they don't go off the rails the way that a lot of other adaptations do like the um so that like the ending of it chapter two Mm -hmm. was so far off yeah that's where it kind of lost me a little bit um i mean eddie still dies but like the whole and yes pennywise does turn into a big spider creature but like they completely left out the turtle they complete and then like the whole making it feel small thing mm-hmm. that was really weird um that's another book that i have to read again because it was so long ago that i read it speaking of long books <laughs> and like long books about clowns <laughs> like not something that i'm like yay let's do it right <laughs> oh okay so the person that i was thinking of that would be perfect for mother abigail is cicely tyson oh but she probably like girl i'm I'm on break. Yeah. I'm taking some time off. Because I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was born in 1924. <laughs> I am retired now. Yeah, I'm done. But, like, I've always pictured her. Well. Like, reading reading the book. Like, especially, I mean, like, when you see her now, like, you know, 
was a little bit older. I don't know. I just always pictured her. She, hey, she's still working though. She's still on oh. How to Get Away with Murder. Oh yeah, that's right. Because she's um, she plays the mom. Yeah, she's Viola Davis's mom. Yep. Annalise Keating's mom. So she's still working. And Mother well, Abigail. She's still taking. A, you know, she's taking her time. Well, one, she doesn't look ninety-five, and two, Mother Abigail is a hundred and eight. But I mean, I feel like just the way that she acts, and then they could, you know, put a little makeup on her, like. They would have to make her look movie old. magic. Yeah, because she does not look that old. I mean, I don't know because like sometimes I feel like when she's on on when she's on How to Get Away with Murder, she looks she looks pretty old. But she doesn't look ninety five. That's true. And also Sydney Poitier, who's like ninety three, doesn't doesn't look, look ninety three. <laughs> it's that magic. It is. <laughs> Teach me. But anyway, I don't know. Just the way her acting, I've always kind of seen her as her but anyway yeah but i just hope with the series as best they can mm-hmm. they can stick to the book yeah and, and like i said before also just kind of uh, go into the dark towers too like just to kind of if they're going to continue on the story create all these different seasons then i think they would need to go into those books too i mean there's seven of them so they got they got a lot of content to work with there you go that's for sure <laughs> All right, folks, we apologize. That was a very long episode. It was a very long book. About the stand. <laughs> very long episode for a very long book. And we still could have talked more. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. That, the, that plot, I really, it was really short. <laughs> I tried to condense it <laughs> for everyone. Consi- to... Considering how much other content's in there. Yes. Well, we hope, exactly. we hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you read the book, especially now. It will give you nightmares and make you question everything you've ever known. Mm-hmm. Um, we appreciate you listening. Please, if there's something that you would like us to discuss, then email us at thesquadghouls at gmail.com. Um, and also, if you played any of the paranormal games back in one of our past episodes, please let us know. We'd love to hear it yes. and read about it on the show. I'm definitely waiting to hear somebody playing that because I'm not going to do it. Nope. Same. <laughs> and also, please, if you'd like, uh, read read with us. Yeah. So as we said before, we're going to read The Last Final Girl by Stephen Graham Jones. Um, so yeah read along with us we'd love and we'd also love to hear your comments also if you read the stand as well and and let us know what you think yeah we'd love to read some of those notes on an upcoming episode yeah and uh don't forget to like us comment and rate us (laughs) on instagram facebook and all of uh the uh podcasts websites and channels out there and also we are now on pandora finally thanks for nothing pandora <laughs> yep I it said took it. a while but we are on pandora two months so please two months <laughs> please subscribe to us on pandora as don't well don't let our work of two months be in vain <laughs> yes please <laughs> creep it real everybody and we'll scare you later bye bye